It is sure good to be with you today on what will be the first of three straight Sundays with you. Lord willing, because with COVID, we never know in plans for the future. But Lord willing, look forward to those days. And you see beginnings on the screen. We're beginning a new sermon series for January and February. It's called In the Beginning. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, three of the most important chapters in all the Bible in understanding God and understanding man and understanding why we're here and understanding our struggles and understanding marriage. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at creation versus evolution. The third Sunday, we'll be looking at the balance of work and rest and the understanding of the Sabbath. We'll also in this series be seeing what Genesis expounds on in chapter 2 and the creation of man. We're going to have a message on marriage as we see that first marriage of Adam and Eve. We're going to be looking at original sin and the consequences of sin, all in Genesis 1 through 3. But today, our focus is this question, what is God. Now I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1, chapter 1. And if you're new to Bible study online or here, this is a great day. Go to page 1. You can find it. Genesis 1, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we will read verses 26 and 27. And in honor of our great God, let's stand for the reading of his word. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Lord, as we look to your word to speak to us right where we're living, We go back to the very beginning, in the beginning of a new year. And Lord, we ask for you to speak. Oh, Lord, we need you to speak. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will convict us. You will point us to Jesus. And Lord, we will be more clear than ever before about God, you, So, Father, we give this time to you and pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
What is God? Is God a force? Is God the ultimate supernatural being? Is God an energy? Is God the unmoved mover? Is God a he, a she, a supernatural it? What is God? Now, if someone who is not a believer were to ask you that question that is a very common question when you begin to visit about your faith with those who are not followers of Christ. How are you going to answer that question? What is God? That's a big one. Well, I have very good news for you. This God that we're asking about today has given us revelation of himself. And that revelation of himself is found in his written word. He reveals to us who he is. And even though we will never grasp the supernal splendor of Almighty God because we are finite human beings, he reveals in his written word all that we need to know about himself. Now, in that light, Let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Now, folks, today, we're not talking about how God began. God is eternal. You see, God always is, was, and will be. And I have a confession to you. When I was a newer believer, a younger believer, really for many years in those early days of a young believer, one thought that gave me so many doubts about God is this. How could God always be? I mean, as a human being, we know everything has to begin. So where did God come from? Who created God? And yet God's word is very clear that God always is, was, and will be. He has no beginning. He is eternal. It's hard for us to grasp that. But what we see in Genesis 1 is a story of the beginning of creation, it's not the beginning of God, it's the beginning of his creation. It's interesting that in Genesis 1-1, we are beginning to see the most important statement in many ways that you can find in the Bible. Because right out of the starting gates, God refutes evolution, he refutes naturalism, he refutes materialism. He refutes atheism right in the very first sentence of his word. God does not try to argue and prove that he is. God simply says, in the beginning, God. And what is God doing in the beginning? He is creating the heavens and the earth. Now think just for a moment about the heavens and the splendor of the heavens. Think about the stars in the sky. You'll see on the screen just different pictures of the stars. Now, you're not going to see stars looking like this in Longview, Texas on most nights because you have too many lights to, to cause you to not see all this. But you get out on a ranch somewhere in the wilderness. You get out somewhere where there are no lights around. You can see more of the incredible creation of the heavens of these stars. Now, it's also very interesting that in God's Word in Psalm 8, 
Listen to what God's word says. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. In other words, the psalmist is writing with wonder, just looking at the heavens because the heavens are declaring the greatness of God. But not only that, astronomers tell us that they estimate that there are 300 sextillion stars. Now, we hear millions, we hear billions, we hear trillions because of all that government debt. But sextillions is a number we don't normally hear. So here's what you do. After the three, write 23 zeros. That's pretty big. And I hope you begin to see right out of the chute in the first verse of the Bible, the greatness of God. This is awesome. He has created this. And not only that, not only that. As you see all those stars, reminded by those pictures, let me read you a verse in Psalm 147, verse 4. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Now think about that. Ann and I have seven grandchildren. I struggle to get their names right. And, and some of, I know some of you are young. You can't imagine this. But when you get to be elderly like me, you'll, you'll know. You, you, you kind of go through the list. Just start naming them off. Hope you'll finally hit the right one there. Well, 300 sextillion stars. He's not only made them, but he's named them. Can you imagine? Can you begin to grasp the greatness of God? This is, it's astounding. It boggles our mind. But even more amazing. Now listen, are you listening? He is not only that great as a creator, but he is a personal God. And he very much wants to know you. When Jesus came, he taught us to pray. He taught his disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, Abba, Dad. Can you imagine the God who is created, if it is 300 sextillion stars or more, the God who is so great to create all this, knows the names of all those stars, not to mention the creation of all the incredible life we see here on earth, that God wants us to call him Father, to know him personally. Now, some of you have had a bad relationship with your dad. It's hard for you to think about God as Father because your relationship with your dad has been difficult. But realize this, he's the perfect dad. He's the dad as you want dads to be, strong, good, dependable, righteous, loving. God is Father. Now, we're going to give you an opportunity today to profess your faith publicly before God and those around you. So I want to ask you to stand, if you will. And we're going to get you, if you're willing, if you're a believer in Christ, simply to recite a statement of your faith about God, our Heavenly Father. Join with me. It's on the screen. We believe love and worship the one and only unchanging sovereign and loving God the creator and ruler of all things on heaven and earth God is manifest in three persons father son and holy spirit you may be seated now as you 
recited that statement about God, I hope you noticed at the end of that statement that God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is telling us that God is very unique, one God in three persons. And what is so amazing in Genesis 1 is you not only have God the Father in verse 1, but now we go to God the Holy Spirit in verse 2. Look at what it says. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now we see God the Holy Spirit being described right there in Genesis 1-2. Up until now, all of creation is formless and void. It is just waiting on a master artist, like a master artist might take a lump of clay and develop something that is beautiful for us that we could never see in that lump of clay. Ann and I, a few years ago, we visited Florence, Italy. Incredible, the artwork in Florence, whether it's sculptures, whether it's paintings. And what is so amazing and what is so sad as Europe has become overwhelmingly apostate, turning from God, is this art is so rich biblically, rich, unbelievable richness. And it's so inspiring to see that. Michelangelo was perhaps the most famous of those artists in and out of Florence. And most of you know of Michelangelo's sculpture of David, just extraordinary. I mean, when you see it, it's so big, it's so incredibly intricate, even in the veins in his legs. His hands. It's just extraordinary. But there's a lesser known sculpture by Michelangelo of St. Matthew. And as you stand there before that sculpture, this is the writing below it. And I quote, Michelangelo is about to cut away the stone from around the figure he has perceived in the marble block. That's exactly what he did with King David. That's exactly what he did with St. Matthew. And that's what a master artist can do. A master artist can see in their creative powers things that you and I cannot see. But Michelangelo had already seen it. Well, that's really a description of what God is doing through the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-2 as the Spirit sees this formless void and begins to move over it. And the Spirit so often in Scripture is described as the wind. Let me read you what Je Jesus says to a religious Bible scholar by the name of Nicodemus who came to him at night inquiring about the things he was teaching. This is what Jesus said to him. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He is speaking to Nick about being born of the Spirit. And even though nobody has seen the Spirit of God, it's like the wind. Nobody's seen the wind. But we know the wind exists. We see evidence of the wind and the blowing of the trees. Well, when a person comes to know God personally, we see evidence of God in that person's life. It's hard to define. Even non-believers see it, but they don't quite grasp it. The Spirit of God is like the wind. And here we see the Spirit of God moving over this formless void and beginning that creative power as the master artist of creation. But that's not all. There is another person that is described as God. But before we come to that, I'm going to give you another opportunity to profess your faith in God. Would you stand once again? This is a statement of faith concerning the Holy Spirit. 
Would you join me with me? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, exalting Christ, convicting us of sin and need for Jesus Christ. He fully lives in every believer from the moment of salvation. He comforts, teaches, empowers us to live in righteousness. He equips every believer with spiritual gifts for service in the body of Christ. You may be seated. All right, now you've seen and professed your faith in two persons of the one God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. But there is a third person who is described in verse 3 of Genesis 1. Listen to the Word of God. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Now, understand this. Up until now, time does not exist until God's creative power through the Holy Spirit begins to go to work. And then all of a sudden, the Word of God says, let there be light. Just the Word. And it came about. Now, God creates out of nothing. Man can't do that. God creates out of nothing. You go back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for creation means to create out of nothing. Man can't do that. We create out of the abundant natural resources that God has given us, but God creates out of nothing. And God just speaks, and it happens. What incredible power. Now, I'm not going to read off of my card every verse in the Bible. You need to turn in your Bible a little bit so you can become more acquainted with Scripture. Turn to the Gospel of John. Turn to the Gospel of John. Those of you online, those of you here, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, especially in light of Genesis 1, 1 through 3. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life, listen to this, was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it verse 14 and this word this word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth you go to Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17 you can see how Jesus is the image of the invisible God and we see that Jesus is the Word of God. Now, what is so amazing is that Jesus is the perfectly true, ultimate Word of God, but God in His love for us has given us the perfectly true, written Word of God so that we can know God as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit. It is remarkable. Jesus speaks and says, let there be light, and there was light. Time has begun. There was no time before this. It has begun. Day one. But now some of you, kind of smarty pants, 
You're sitting there saying, there couldn't be no light. The sun wasn't created till the fourth day. They must have gotten the order wrong. Obviously, the Bible is confused and messed up. Come on, come on. You're smarter than that. Turn over in the Gospel of John. You're already there. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Yes, the sun and the stars, the moon were not created till the fourth day in the creative process, but Jesus is the light. Unless you believe that is overly spiritualizing, listen to the Word of God in Revelation 22.5. Listen to this. This is after Jesus has brought judgment on the heavens and the earth. They burned up what we know of the heavens and the earth. They're gone. And there is a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. And in Revelation 22, 5, listen to this. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them. And they, the church, the followers of Jesus, will reign forever and ever. Isn't that extraordinary? Think about that. We won't need the light of a lamp. There will be no more night because the light of Christ dwelling among us, it will be glorious, and you don't want to miss that. So by now, I hope you're ready to profess your faith in Jesus. Would you stand? We want you to give you an opportunity to profess your faith in this Jesus, the light of the world. Join me in proclaiming this out loud. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, sinless. He died on the cross in our place for our sins, was buried, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father as our advocate and will return to judge the living and the dead. You may be seated. Now, if you didn't say it because you don't believe it, that's okay. But I hope by the end of this message today that you will. Because now we go to verse 26 in Genesis 1. Turn back to Genesis 1, very first page of the Bible, and go to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, I hope by now what you're seeing is that today's message on explaining who God is is a message on the Trinity. Some of you will say, well, the Trinity is not a word that ever appears in the Bible. You're exactly right. It does not. But from the very first page of the Bible in Genesis 1, we see the Trinity. In the very first three verses of Genesis 1, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see one God in three persons. Now, some of your Jewish friends, some of your Muslim friends, some of your friends who are believing in a monotheistic God will argue that Christianity professes three gods. That's not correct. We have one God in three persons. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. 
I am the father to my three sons. In the ancient world, that was a TV show. Some of y'all might remember it. But I'm the father to my three sons. They know me one way. But I'm also the son of my parents who are now in heaven. They knew me one way. And for 38 years, I was a pastor of one church there in Atlanta. They knew me one way. My boys knew me differently from my parents who knew me differently from the church I served. But I was the same guy. And some of you sitting there saying, yeah, that's a great insight about the Trinity. No, it is not. It is heresy. It gives you a picture to understand, and it may get you a little closer to grasping the nature and the being of God, but here's where that analogy is so inadequate. How do you explain God the Son praying to God the Father? That's dramatically different. He is one God in three persons. When your Jewish friends say, look, we're monotheistic, we believe in one God, you Christians believe in two, in three, you can then say, well, let's go to page one of the Hebrew Bible. And in verse 26, it says, God said, or, or then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, the Hebrew word for God is the word Elohim. If you've ever flown to Israel, you might have flown on the airlines El Al. That's the Israeli airlines. El is for God. Al is for airlines. Pretty good name for an airlines, by the way. Kind of makes you feel a little safer riding along an airline like that. But Elohim means the plurality of God. That's what it means. The plurality of God. So when your Jewish friends say, y'all just believe in a bunch of different, three different gods. We just believe in one. You can say, oh, no, no. Oh, no. Look at page one of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis 1. It's right there. Let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. Elohim, the plurality of God, the Trinity, right here in chapter 1 of the Bible to explain to us who God is. Now, recognizing that, we come to the masterpiece of God's creation. You, mankind, you, the final creation of God is the greatest creation of God, greater than the stars of the heaven, greater than the mountains and the seas, greater than the animals and the fish and the birds of the air. It is you. It is man. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? That means to be like God. So what does that mean to be like God? Well, first of all, it is to be like God and that we have creative powers. Man can make things, invent things. We can't do it out of nothing like God does. But we do have creative powers like him. Not only that, we have the power to reason and to think. We are different from the other creation. Not only that, man has a moral consciousness. A moral consciousness. Man evaluates good and evil. The animal kingdom doesn't do that. That evaluative process or that sense of self-consciousness and self-awareness and what we are to do and what is right and what is wrong. Not only that, man enjoys language like God who is the Word of God. 
But not only that, man appreciates beauty in creation like God does. But not only that, to be in the image of God, which is male and female, man is to rule over God's creation. Look at what it says in verse 26 and 27. To rule over the cattle and creeping things, beasts of the earth after their kind, in verse 25. And then he comes back again in verse 26. To let them rule man over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. In other words, man is to rule. Now, listen carefully. The big word in contemporary culture is environmentalism. But I really believe that's where secular man has gotten a bit distracted from what God originally had in mind. The better word is conservation. Our role is to manage the creation of God in a way that gives glory and honor to God. That's our calling. Environmentalism so often worships the creation versus the creator. But God wants us to recognize under his authority we are to manage and literally rule over all of creation. It is the authority that he has entrusted to us that makes us like him and in his image. But that's not all. That's not all. Man is like God because we are relational. We're going to come to this later in Genesis 2. But man was having a good old time as a zookeeper naming the animals and they were all in harmony. There was no wild animals. Everybody was at peace with one another. But God finally said, this is not good. And he says, what is not good is that man is alone. Because man is created to be relational. Part of the challenges of this past year and of this past week is man, because of COVID and the pandemic, has become so isolated that it has exasperated so much of the tension that is going on in our world. Man is intended to be relational, like God. Think about it. Are you listening? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony with one another. And God desires for all mankind to learn from Him, to be like Him in harmony with one another in relationships. So why do we make such a mess of it? It's very simple. It's because of our sin. We're going to talk about this too in Genesis 3, the original sin. And because of that sin nature, we take on a mindset that is most of all about me. And over time, then each person seeks to do what is right in their own eyes. And because of our sin nature, we can begin to rationalize all kinds of incredibly horrific evil. But not only that, Worst of all, we begin to be filled with self-righteous pride that we know what is best and those who don't agree with us are evil. They are wrong. And look at where we are as a nation today that is so turned from God. So much division. So much hatred. So much violence. So much idolatry idolatry of a person, idolatry of an idea, idolatry of an ideology, idolatry of a thing. 
all the while feeling like we really know what is right. And look at the anarchy we witnessed this week. You see, when man comes to know God through a personal relationship with God, then man is empowered by God to not only live differently, but to love differently. Everybody, listen carefully, listen carefully. In spite of our deplorable sinfulness that is true for every person listening online today, watching online, and everybody here, God loves us so much that he humbled himself to become one of his creation, to become a man, for Jesus not only to show us what God is like, that's a big part of what we learn from Jesus, but to give his life for us as our Savior, to pay the penalty for our sin, the judgment we deserve. He did that on the cross so that if we come and trust Christ, believing that he has paid the price for our sins, and then we submit our life and trust to Jesus. He not only forgives us, he not only gives us the gift of eternal life because he has conquered sin and death, but he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowers us to live differently from the world around us. Listen to this teaching of Jesus in John chapter 13. Listen to the words of Jesus. I am giving you a new commandment, says Jesus, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, folks, think about what God is showing us now in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 when he reveals to us that he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has made us in, has made all of us in his image we see, first of all, that we get to be more like God in spirit and character. We see, second of all, that we get to rule over all creation and we're to manage it in a way that is pleasing to God and good for all, not just for us, but all of creation. But then we also realize that God has given us the power when we trust Christ and receive salvation to be transformed, to be redeemed, to be restored to what God originally had in mind when he created man so that we can be like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony so that we can love one another, so that the church can be radically different from the world all around us. And then, and then, we realize that as we carry out the mission that Jesus gives his church of taking this good news to every people group on the face of the earth, then they listen to us more with greater receptive hearts because they see there's something different about this group called the church. But so sadly, there's little difference in the church and those who are not of us because we don't love one another as God in perfect harmony of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another. They are the perfect picture of unity and diversity. All three persons of the Godhead are distinct and different, but they love one another. 
And in the church, no matter what your tribe, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your politics, we are called to love one another. Period. Because if you and I cannot do that, then the church is not going to listen to what we have to say because they see enough of that violence and hatred and fighting and discrimination and feelings of superior pride towards others. They see enough of that in the world. They want something different. That is what we're to be. That is why you are here. So church, church, may you believe in God the Father through Jesus the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you follow this Jesus in becoming more like God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in spirit and in character. And in the process, may we love one another and then better fulfill the mission of the church as people see something in us that they are longing to have. Marvelly, church throughout the world. Oh, may it be. May the church be so in love with God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we're radically different. We love one another. Back in the ancient world in 1965, there was a popular song. It was written by Burt Bacharach and sung by Jackie DeShannon, I believe. The song was, What the World Needs Now is Love. It's kind of in the preview of the hippie movement. Some of y'all that are young, you don't know what hippies are, but get your grandparents to tell you about it. And it, it was a popular song. I mean, everybody was like, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No! No. What the world needs now is God. And when the world finally comes to know God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then the world gets to see what real love is. Oh, church, may it be. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Father, Thank you for humbling yourself to become one of us through Jesus, your son. Thank you for those of us who are followers of Christ that you empower us through your Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, to submit to Jesus, to be distinct from this world. Oh, Lord, we in the church need you so many times, Lord, we begin to worship idols of this world, a person, an idea, an ideology, a thing. And we begin to be so puffed up with self-righteous pride that we are completely blind to our arrogant sin and our character and our attitudes 
in our hostility and our hatred towards others, in our animosity and arrogance and feeling superior towards others. Oh Lord, forgive us, the church. And Lord, for those who have been pretty smug about why they don't want to be a Christian because of all the hypocrisy in Moberly and every other church in the world, it is my prayer that today their eyes will be open and that right now you, the Holy Spirit, are convicting them. Oh, my goodness. I've been keeping my eyes on the shortcomings of the church and I've been missing God. May that person come to you and say, Lord, I need you. I want to know you as my Father. I want to know you as my Savior. I want to know you as my Lord. I want you to empower me with your Spirit. Oh, Lord, I now realize why I'm here and who you are. Oh, Lord, may it be in that person's life that they finally overcome that smug, self-righteous pride of feeling better than those in the church and finally say, oh, Lord, I need you. Because, Lord, we all do. Forgive us as we fall short. Forgive us of our idolatry of so many things before you. Oh, Lord, may you cleanse us as we go all the way back to the beginning and the beginning of a new year. Lord, may this be a day of refreshing, of cleansing. May this be a time when all of us become all about you, the Father, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name.